Bible for you. Uh, The Bible reading is from Luke chapter 12, and we're reading verses 22 to 24. It's on page 1044 in the uh, Black Pew Bibles. Luke 12, 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Involved. Um, and thank you for the warm welcome. It's actually a great honour uh, to be speaking at this, this service, the commissioning service for Anchor RE, and I'm, uh, I'm, it warms my heart actually to hear these stories of what's going on in these local schools. So let's just pray before, before we jump into it. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the good things you do in our lives. Thank you for everyone here. Thank you that you know us, that you love us, that you're interested in us. And Lord, I thank you for the work that goes on here at St Matthews and the way that spills out into the community and I think contributing to the good of the community. Thank you for the way that that happens uh, in the schools around here. And I pray that that might continue to be the case, that we'd be inspired here by your word and your love and, and be driven out into the community to serve others and seek the common good. In your name, Amen. Well, in the mid-1990s, when I was backpacking around the world, I found myself one night lining up in the snow outside the Vienna State Opera House. And I was wearing jeans and boots and a ski jacket. And nonetheless, I was hoping to see Placido Domingo singing in the opera that night. He was singing in an opera called Herodiad. In those days, I don't know if it's still the case, but you could, for about two US dollars you could buy a standing spot right up in the rafters of this magnificent theatre to see the show. And so I lined up for that and I got in. I didn't know anything about opera, I have to say, but I knew that this was a big deal. And so I got in and while I was, uh, we were ushered up to the the top of this this theatre and while I was standing there leaning over a railing, a woman came up to me and to my astonishment, she offered me a ticket in the private box downstairs. And uh, here I was feeling like I wasn't quite dressed for this. But nonetheless, I thought, well, here, I, I'm, I'm here. She said, look, the ticket's spare. Come down if you like. And so I did. And so I go down to this box and I knock on the door and, and they, they open the door and she's down the front. She waves me down. This involved uh, politely pushing past people in very elaborate ball gowns and all the men were in tails. And so I'm there looking like a complete fish out of water, but I was ushered not just into the box, but to the very front, so there was this velvet kind of bench that I could lean over and and watch the action. And while I was sitting there, what I experienced was truly amazing. It was this stunning theatre, and let's be honest, I was completely out of place, but I was swept up into the colour and the drama and the exquisite, soaring beauty of the music. And the experiences I've reflected on it reminded me of a moment in the the Shawshank Redemption, which is a, for you guys, an old, much-loved film, um, 
about a, a prison, life in a prison. And there was this moment in the film where Tim Robbins' character, Andy, some of you remember this, who was serving two life sentences for murder, uh, broke into the, sort of breaks into the, the prison director's office and then over the jail's PA system, he played an aria from The Marriage of Figaro. So this beautiful operatic music. And there was a description of the music by Morgan Freeman, who's the narrator of the film, about that moment. And it sort of connects with what I was feeling like in Vienna uh, that night. This is what he said. He said, I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. The truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are best left unsaid. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful that it can't be expressed in words and it makes your heart ache because of it. So beautiful it makes your heart ache. Now, opera might not be your thing, but you will all have your own version of what I'm talking about here. For you, it might have been, I don't know, Adele last week, was it, two weeks ago, in, at ANZ Stadium, or Justin Bieber, maybe. It was also there, I think. Maybe it was a, a string quartet at the Prague Castle or Bruce Springsteen at Hope Estate. Whatever it is. For me, I think this, this idea of beauty, of the sort we can sometimes experience in music, but also in other, in other expressions of art, perhaps a painting, standing before a painting or reading a poem or a novel. Or it might be the natural world that gets you. Something like a mountaintop experience or, or a sunrise. We've been experiencing some amazing sunrises here uh, on the days when we can see the sun uh, in recent weeks. And it's like, to me, an echo of something beyond a material existence. It touches our imaginations. And it introduces us to longings that evoke a sense of something beyond us. You might call it transcendence, perhaps. A sense that there's more than just this. Now, in the passage that Kieran read for us from Luke's Gospel, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Jesus is reminding us that life is about more than just the physical. It includes the physical. And that's important to him. I'll come to that in a moment. But it isn't limited to that. There's a spiritual dimension to life that we would do well to pay attention to. That's what he seems to be saying here. Now our culture... I think it's fair to say, seems less and less equipped to do that. We seem to want to only talk about the physical, to only take seriously the things that we can prove in a kind of scientific sense, or perhaps measure or even buy. And there are some today, influential people too, who want to promote this idea of human beings only being complex physical machines. That's getting more and more common. Here is, I'm going to show you a very short clip here from the atheist philosopher Alex Rosenberg explaining some of the implications of life with a thoroughly, what you'd call a naturalistic worldview. That is, there's no room at all for God or gods or anything of the sort of transcendence. This is what he says. Is there a God? Of course not. What is the meaning of the universe? It doesn't have any. What is the purpose of life? Ditto. 
is there uh, a difference between right and wrong, good and bad? Uh, there's not a moral difference between them. Uh, what is the nature of the relationship between the mind and the brain? They're identical, the mind is the brain. Is there free will, not a chance? Does the lessons of the past have any particular bearing that would help us cope with the future? Less and less if it ever had any at all. We could spend a bit of time unpacking all of that, but needless to say, this is a very um, clear and I think very honest and actually quite probably accurate view of a world that is a godless world. All of those things probably are implications that are true, and yet we all want to sort of feel, well, a lot of us anyway, feel like this is that all there is. We sort of resist this sense of sort of a reductionist view of, of us and our lives. Now, of course, Alex Rosenberg could be right, but this kind of worldview leaves a whole lot of unanswered questions, heaps of them actually. But even things like where do concepts of right and wrong, good and evil come from if there is nothing beyond the material world? What about love? What about heartbreak? What about our sense of justice? Where do these things come from? Most of us do, as Jesus says, have a sense that life is about more than food and the body more than clothes. And that as complex as we are physically, this doesn't account for the totality of life. And I was encouraged to see that the Department of Education, New South Wales Department of Education, seems to know this too. Right? They, in their, they have a, a document called the Wellbeing Framework for Schools. And in that, there's this recognition of well-being having to take into account not only cognitive, emotional, social and physical things, but spiritual things as well. And that spiritual well-being relates to our sense of meaning and purpose. That makes sense to most of us. So this is one of the many reasons why I think, and I'm pleased to see others in here do too, that... Special religious education, SRE, remains a really important part of the school experience. You see, the extraordinary progress of humankind has not solved our deepest questions. We might have air travel, we might have the iPhone, we might have pretty much pain-free dentistry, we've got cars that almost always don't break down. All of these are good things, but on their own, by themselves, they can't seem to deliver what all of us need. The power of a story to which we belong, one that provides a grounding purpose, a perspective, one that provides meaning. And, and I reckon life just remains mysterious in all the areas that actually matter to each of us, in things like love and friendship and beauty and tragedy and the search for wisdom, and the search for the good life, what does that mean? And uh, Dave mentioned I'm at the Centre for Public Christianity, and because of that I sometimes do get asked uh, in public and other forum, various forums to comment on the place of Scripture in schools. And I say that Scripture in schools offers, offers us the opportunity to consider such crucial foundational questions. What else does the Christian worldview offer? What does scripture provide in a modern school? What place does it still have in a secular public education environment? And I would say at its best, scripture offers an awful lot. So here's just a couple of things that are being offered whenever and wherever the Christian message is relayed, and I reckon especially importantly in the uh, special religious teaching. The first thing 
I want to talk about is cultural richness. At, at a very, and this is at a very basic level. See, Scripture in schools offers a knowledge of the Bible, which has been incredibly a shaping influence in our culture. Incredible shaping influence. The influence is immense. It is enormously positive, in, in my view. And it's good to know the material. It's good to have a sense of it. We have less and less of a sense of that. Our famous authors and artists have long mined dug into the Bible as they examine these questions of what does it mean to be a human? And even at the level, at this kind of level of just understanding some of the great works of literature and art and music, you do need to know the key Bible stories and themes. I mean, try getting your head around William Blake or T.S. Eliot or John Donne's poetry without some knowledge of the Bible or John Steinbeck's East of Eden, or Ian McEwan's Atonement, or Shakespeare. I mean, there's heaps of stuff like this. The influence is everywhere. And it's very important to, to, to have an understanding of it. Even perhaps the most antagonistic public atheist of recent times, Richard Dawkins, once wrote about the contribution of the Bible. He said, you can't appreciate English literature unless you are steeped to some extent in the King James Bible. Not to know it is to be in some small way barbarian. <laughs> Well, we don't want to be that. So at the very least, SRE can help you overcome that problem. And you hear the history and English teachers say amen to that. Feel free to shout out if you want to. But, you know, that's a very kind of practical, kind of basic outcome. There's a lot more on offer in these classes. And that's not enough to get Susie McDonald out of bed every morning. And so there's a lot more than this. So one aspect of this that I think is really important, the picture of God that is offered in SRE classes, and I have to say, indeed, here at St Matthews every week, is one of understanding the world, the physical creation that we inhabit, as the gift of a loving creator. You see, in the Genesis accounts, right at the beginning of the Bible, you have these creative acts of God stepping into the abyss and formulating this incredible, beautiful, ordered universe. And contrary to every other ancient Near Eastern creation story, this one stands out because over and over again it says it was good, it was good, it was good. The goodness of the physical creation. Consider the ravens, says Jesus, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more are you, valuable are you than birds? The world as gift. This is, the, this is an important thing, I think, to, to get your head around. Now, I want to illustrate this with an analogy, with a nod to the theologian Miroslav Volf. I want you to think about this physical object in my watch that I've got on my wrist here. Uh, it's, a, it's a really nice watch. Uh, it's kind of weighty. It feels substantial. You can have a look at it later if you want to. Uh, it, it looks kind of nice, I think, this watch. Um, it's also practical. Right? It keeps great time. It's intricately made. And it's waterproof, so I can have it out in the surf and I can still tell the time. I can dress it up a bit and uh, you know, it sort of carries that off too. It's a great watch. But if I were to tell you that this watch was given to me by my wife, Michelle, for a special birthday, you'll understand something else about this watch, right? Uh, it takes on a special meaning. There's a relationship attached to the physical object. That gives it value way beyond whatever it, is, it costs to buy. When I feel it on my wrist, when I look at it during the day, it's a reminder to, to me of Michelle and our relationship, and it's special 
because of that. I want to say that it's a little bit like what it's like to come to understand the physical world as a gift from God. You see, you can, of course, I want to acknowledge this, you can, of course, really appreciate the physical world without any sense of the Creator. Plenty of people do that. They love it. They're amazed by it. They appreciate it. But when you come to understand this, to, to, to believe that this is a gift of a God who made it with you and me in mind... It adds a whole lot of layers of meaning to the experience of life that we have. It means that every aspect of life, in a kind of mysterious way, is sacred. Even the very mundane things. And I would say, given that we're talking about schools today, that the study of geography and science and mathematics and dance and drama and the, you know, getting involved in sport, all with that sort of lens on, can take on an incredible depth of meaning. It adds meaning and purpose to what, to what we're experiencing. So I think that's an incredibly positive thing that, that the Christian vision offers us. And then thirdly, uh, personal identity and personal value is another important gift that we, we receive here. And this is very important today, more than ever, and the philosopher Alistair MacIntyre says this about, about this, this question. He says, the, I can only the, answer the question, what am I to do? Right? What sort of life should I live? If I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself a part? I can only work out what I'm going to do if I can work out what story I belong to. And when we consider this question of identity, the question of who am I, the idea that my life is connected to something significant that's more substantial than me, I think, is incredibly significant. Uh, now, having studied the uh, identity formation in teenagers, there's a couple of academics who did a whole lot of study on this, Thomas Bean and Karen Monney, they found that teens today, some of you are here, um, spend a lot of their time and construct their identity in what they call non-places. And they say this about, I thought this was fascinating, Urban teens navigate through shopping malls, train stations, airports, freeways, and the internet. These fluid spaces are disorienting. They're disrupting a fixed sense of place. And this spills over into teens' interior worlds. Instead of clear anchors in family, community, and institutions like schools, and I'd want to add churches, to forge a coherent identity, these fluid spaces engender feelings of disconnection and alienation. I think we're seeing that in lots and lots of our teenagers around the place. And they say that identity in a, what they call a mall culture is constructed through the consumption of goods with selfhood vested in things. And because these things are ephemeral, you can't sort of get hold of them, feelings of panic and anxiety flow into teens' lives. Finding our identity is critical in, our, in finding our place in the world. And for Christians, for people who've come to sort of absorb and to accept the, the Christian vision of the world, this grand story of creation through the fall of humanity to redemption through the, the, work of, the life and work of Jesus Christ, heading towards new creation. So it's creation to new creation. Provides this kind of framework huge framework within which people can live their lives with meaning and purpose. It's God's big story. I would say it's the biggest story ever told. 
that, that also situates each and every one of us right in the story. And according to this big biblical picture, every single one of us is made in the image of God. Meaning, humanity is the high point of this incredible creation. That, each, that we're given, a, as people, we're given a unique place in the cosmos and called on to be God's special representatives here on earth. And it's because of that that every person is of immeasurable worth. This is an idea that our culture accepted for, for hundreds and hundreds of years and it changed everything, that every single life is of immeasurable worth. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap, says Jesus. And they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them and how much more valuable are you than birds? This worth that we attach to every human life is, in this vision, a bestowed worth. That is, it's given to you. You didn't earn it. It It's not dependent on, for instance, your capacity to do stuff or rational thought or intelligence. not dependent on how clever you are or how beautiful you are. This is a fixed identity. You kind of can't get away from it. You are a precious child of God. It's a fantastic idea. It's a profound, it's an orientating idea that many of us have found has been a great foundation on which to build a life. And so we'd hope that for for a lot of the students as they come across this. Now, as we celebrate then, therefore, the place of Scripture in schools or in this area tonight, I want to acknowledge something. I want to acknowledge that the church, I don't mean St. Matthews, I mean the church broadly, hasn't always offered up its best in this area. It is the case. And I remember when I was young, when the old Canon Pritchard used to turn up at, at my uh, school, he looked about 106 years old at the time, and he'd turn up to my East Tamworth Primary School once a week and then leave. And it's fair to say he didn't really set hearts on fire, as lovely and as, as well-intentioned as he no doubt did, as he no doubt was. And, and I think back to my third grade scripture teacher who let's be honest, was a very strange woman who I vaguely recognised from church. And even as an eight-year-old, I could recognise she was sprouting theological heresy every second kind of sentence, and especially whenever, whenever difficult questions came her way. There are some serious critics of Scripture in schools today, and some of the criticisms are valid. There have been times when we haven't sent our best-trained people into these environments. It hasn't been given the priority it deserves everywhere. Sometimes there's been a lack of sensitivity to the audience and where they're at and knowing what curriculum and content is appropriate in that setting and what isn't. There have been moments where we haven't been good guests in other people's houses. But just in the same way as when you get a terrible history teacher or an awful science teacher, rather than ditch history and science as a, as a kind of discipline, you work at it to get the best people involved and to make the whole thing a lot better. And I'm very glad to see that with initiatives like Anchor RE, and there's a lot of people following this model around the place now, we are getting well-trained professional teachers who are in the schools delivering appropriate curriculum in an engaging fashion. They know the community, the staff know them, they love the students, they get time to get to know them. The teachers like Susie and Jen Daly before her and Kieran and others who've stood up here tonight are involved in what's going on and in the life of the school. They are in a great position. It's a great privileged position 
to be inviting people to consider a way of seeing the world that we think, most of us here, think is challenging and fascinating and life-affirming. And it is very much an invitation to consider. That's the posture that's developed, that's, that's offered here. To have a sense of what it's, what it's like to see the world through that lens of, of a particular faith, in this case, Christianity. Now, there are some people who would say that we'd be better off having uh, comparative religious studies taught dispassionately by non-adherents. And there's some strength in that type of approach. But the special, SRE, the special religious educators, give us a chance to see what it's like to have someone who, like the best teachers, are passionate about their subject, who kind of want to spill it out into the people that they, they meet and the kids they come across, who are passionate about it, who know it well and can engage with the, the kids in a deep fashion. In the New York Times a couple of years ago, Mark O'Connell, who's a literary critic and a journalist, he was, was writing about the American novelist Marilyn Robinson, who is not only a very highly acclaimed novelist, but also a Christian, and she writes very strongly theologically themed novels. O'Connell the writer, the, the journo, is, a, is Irish and he's an atheist. But he's so struck by Marilyn Robinson's writing that in, in an article where he quoted a passage of hers at length, he said this about her. He says, This passage feels like an instinctual insight into a way of experiencing the world that is otherwise alien to me. I've read and loved a lot of literature about religion and religious experience. But it's only with Robinson that I've actually felt what it must be like to live with a sense of the divine. O'Connell says that Robinson puts him inside an apprehension of the world that is totally foreign to him and one that he admits he's quite hostile to in the past. And then he says this, "She She makes an atheist reader like myself capable of identifying with a sense of a fallen world. That is nonetheless filled with pain that is filled with pain and sadness, but also suffused with divine grace. A world that is full of pain and sadness, but nonetheless is filled with divine grace. O'Connell says he probably doesn't, doesn't think he'll ever come to see the world in quite the same way as Marilyn Robinson. But he says her writing has shown him the value and the beauty of those perspectives. Now, Kieran, imagine someone saying that about your scripture teaching. What a great thing to aim at, getting inside the experience of the believer. Life is about more than what we can just see and touch and measure. It's more, more, about more than clothes and food, as Jesus says. And, and SRE provides an opportunity for students to consider the Christian story, which is a story of a physical reality that's also a spiritual reality. To be offered a vision of human flourishing that sees, sees the world as the gift of a loving creator. Of a world in which we're not alone in the universe, but each of us is a precious child of God who longs for a relationship with us. It's the story of a man who is also God, who is at the heart of the universe and that all things make most sense uh, in light of that man, Jesus. And that's why I'm very glad that we have people in the schools inviting others to come and take a look at what the world looks like from that perspective of someone who's accepted the Christian vision. I think it's an incredibly life-affirming vision and may it be the case for a long time to come.
Thank you.